Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. In late October of 2019, Wang Yi, the pastor of one of the strongest underground churches in China, leaned over his pulpit and posed a question to his congregation. He asked, if tomorrow morning the early rain covenant church suddenly disappeared from the city of Chengdu, if each of us vanished into thin air, would this city be any different? Would anyone miss us? Sadly, the pastor's question was tragically prophetic. For less than three months later, Chinese officers burst into the church. They arrested the pastor and his wife and more than a hundred members of the early rain church. Many other members fled into hiding. The pastor was charged with, quote, inciting subversion. And he and his wife are incarcerated while many other members of the church are under surveillance by Chinese officials, including the pastor's mother and his young son. If they are convicted, they will spend up to 15 years in a Chinese prison. The meeting room that once housed the worship of the early rain church is now empty. The pulpit that he leaned over that day and the cross that stood behind him are both gone. The windows of the meeting hall are shuttered, and plainclothes Chinese policemen stand outside, turning away anyone who would come looking for the church. While we in the American church complain about inconveniences and discomforts experienced in the pandemic, thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the underground church in various parts of the world are suffering genuine persecution. And if anyone in the New Testament knew about persecution for being a Christ follower, it was certainly the Apostle Paul. His journey would end with imprisonment and finally martyrdom. And today, we return to his story. We've been in a series entitled Lifeline, How to Grab God's Hand When You're Going Under. And we began the series with looking at the Apostle Paul and his journey to Rome to stand trial for nothing more than being faithful to Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to return to his story, and we will find that comfort and convenience and personal preferences were the last things on the mind of the apostle. But instead, his mind and heart were set on faithfulness to his Lord and Master Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. Paul understood something that our hearts need to grasp as well. It's our big idea for today. Eternal rewards are worth earthly sacrifices. 
So when we open the series, the Apostle Paul was on his way to Rome. He was aboard a ship that encountered a ferocious storm, and the ship was battered and torn apart. They were shipwrecked, and they finally jumped overboard. Paul and his Roman guard and the Apostle Luke and then all of the crew of the ship, and they made it ashore on the island of Malta where they would stay for three months until he could continue his journey to Rome. And so as we go back to the beginning of Paul's Christian journey, we remember the familiar story of his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, how a light blinded him and Christ spoke to him and he gave his heart and mind and soul to Jesus that day, and he was transformed from being a persecutor of the church to being the great missionary, evangelist, and church planter that we know as the Apostle Paul. And Paul, early in his ministry for Christ, would go to the temple in various cities, and Jews would meet him there, and he would explain how Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Well, this incited hostility among many of the Jews and the crowd that would gather. And when we get to Acts chapter 21, and if you have your Bibles, open it please to Acts 21. We'll find Paul preaching in the temple at Jerusalem. His enemies are accusing him of inciting treason against Rome and of speaking blasphemy against the Old Testament prophecies. But instead, Paul was speaking the truth of fulfilled prophecy, and yet his enemies incited an uprising. So let's begin the narrative, Acts chapter 21, beginning with verse 30. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another, since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion. He ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him. We sometimes think that our standing true for the gospel today is costly, but it certainly pales in comparison to what the Apostle Paul experienced or what our brothers and sisters in the underground church around the world are experiencing today. And though that is true, in our increasingly secularizing culture, we are going to be called upon 
to stand true for the gospel, and we will meet greater and greater resistance and even hostility. And we need to understand that faithfulness requires the courage to stand for Christ in the face of strong opposition. That was so true for Paul. He was incarcerated at this point in his story for two years under the official Felix. And he would come before Felix many times and testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Felix would listen, though he did not place his faith in Christ. And then Felix was finally replaced by another official named Festus. And all of this time, Paul's enemies, the Jews who were hostile to the message of the gospel, were plotting to somehow kill Paul. And they were trying to convince Festus to try him in Jerusalem where they could execute a plan to ambush Paul's entourage and guard and assassinate him along the way. Continue with me in the story, this time Acts chapter 25, verse 1. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and the other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They are seeking to persuade Festus, who then returns to Caesarea where Paul is imprisoned. And Paul is brought before him, and the Jews confront Paul. Verse 7, when Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I'm not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, No, this is the official Roman court so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I'm not guilty of harming the Jews. If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, no one has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. And then Paul said something that was a game changer. I appeal to Caesar. Paul at this point was invoking his right as a Roman citizen to stand guard or to stand trial before Caesar, the emperor of Rome. This was a safeguard against the Jews and their plot to assassinate him or at the very least to see that he was unjustly convicted. Verse 12, Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, Very well, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. This appeal triggered Paul's journey to Rome, and the the storm and the shipwreck and the landing of Paul and those with him on Malta 
was all a part of that first message in this series. They stayed there on the island of Malta where they were well received for three months until finally Paul and his guard and Luke were able to board another ship that was headed for Rome. And so they finally landed at a port that would take them then on their last leg of their journey overland to Rome. And on the stops along the way, the Christ followers in the area each time would gather around Paul and pray for him, for his safety, and for his release until finally they reached their destination. Acts chapter 28, verse 16. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. All along this journey, Paul had been shackled in chains, and he would still be so in Rome, but he was not thrown into a dungeon at this point. He was given a more comfortable room, a cell to be sure, and yet it was at least uh, decent surroundings for the apostle to be under house arrest. And so Paul was guarded by officials of the palace guard 24 hours a day, three soldiers each day in roughly eight-hour shifts, and for the next period of time, this was Paul's life. Paul would usually go to the temple to preach in any city to which he came, but he could not do so in Rome because he was incarcerated. And so, those who were interested in hearing what he had to say came to him. Verse 23. So a time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the Scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. The Roman Jews were open to hear, and Paul presented his apologetic. And the word apologetic has nothing to do with apologizing. It is simply a term that means that he explained and he defended the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel from morning until evening. And then the response is explained in verse 24. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And that has not changed because our sinful human nature has not changed. When the gospel is presented, just as it was by Paul, in a masterful way to explain and defend Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecies, that he was the Messiah, he is the Savior and Lord. And just as we would present that very same gospel, the response will be similar some will receive it by faith and believe, but others will not. But the rejection of some did not deter the apostle. He stayed there awaiting trial for two more long years. But he didn't whine and complain 
about how he was mistreated and how unjust, although all that was true, Paul instead used that time to evangelize for Christ. Acts 28, verse 30. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. There's a lesson here in Paul's life I don't want us to miss. I am am convinced that many times we are so focused on our rights and our preferences and our desires that we miss the opportunities that God is presenting to us to act in a way that causes people to wonder what it is about us, and we miss the opportunities to present the gospel that Paul preached so long ago. That willingness of heart to be gospel-centric believers is an indication of our heart and of our commitment, a willingness to surrender your rights so that Christ might be glorified is an evidence of a faithful heart and life. Paul didn't complain. He wasn't bitter. He rejoiced. He saw it as an opportunity, an opportunity for the power of Christ to be made known, for the glory of Christ to be revealed, for the gospel of Christ to be proclaimed. And his perspective was reflected in a letter that he wrote from this period of imprisonment to the believers in the church at Philippi. We know that letter as the New Testament book of Philippians. And in Philippians 1, beginning with verse 12, we hear the heart of the apostle. He said, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news, the gospel. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, those Roman soldiers that were guarding him, the whole palace guard knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. How could Paul have that perspective? How could he have that attitude? I believe it's because Paul had learned a lesson that seems so difficult for those of us in American culture to truly learn. It's simply it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unjust suffering will reveal whether the focus of our heart is on the gospel or on ourselves. Paul fully understood that this could cost him his very life. And he goes on in that letter, in that first chapter of Philippians, to reflect his understanding 
of exactly what it could cost. Philippians 1, verse 20. Paul said, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life, look, will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, he said, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, he said to the Philippians, it is better that I continue to live. Can you see that? When the focus of our heart is Christ-centered, it gives us an entirely different perspective of life. And the book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul still under house arrest, still in Rome. We know from the rest of the Old Testament and church history that Paul was released from this first Roman imprisonment and that for two more years he traveled freely. He spread the gospel. He made known the glory of Christ until at the end of that two-year period, he was imprisoned again in Rome, but this time not under house arrest, but under Nero, the maniacal emperor that had assumed power in Rome and who hated Christians, who persecuted them, who martyred them, who burned them alive and threw them to the lions, Nero had Paul incarcerated and thrown in a dungeon where he would await a trial that would eventually end with his conviction and execution. For church history tells us, and extra-biblical sources confirm, that in all likelihood Paul was beheaded in A.D. 68. When Paul wrote a letter to a young pastor in training named Timothy. He knew that the end of his life was near. He knew that he would not survive that imprisonment. And so he wrote to Timothy in the letter that we call 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, beginning with verse 6, these words. Paul said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, Paul said, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul's life was unjustly ended, but the eternal rewards were more than worth the sacrifice. 
and the powerful and profound lesson that we learn from the apostle is that the greatest goal of our life should be to live pleasing to the Lord, to be faithful to him, and to finish well. In our narcissistic, it's all about me culture, in the light of eternity, what does your life stand for? If you and I were called upon by God to experience more than just inconvenience and annoyance, if we were asked to truly give our lives for the gospel, how would we respond? I want to challenge you to take these next steps as we begin to draw today's message to a close. First of all, reflect on the Lord's faithfulness to you in that he saved you by his grace, though you were unworthy of his love and mercy. You were unworthy. I am unworthy. And yet God in his grace gave us not justice, but mercy. Reflect on that and how God has been so good to each one of us. And then in response, ask the Lord to turn your gratitude for his faithfulness into faithfulness to him every day in every way. He may not ask you or me to give our lives. We may not be imprisoned for our faith. We may only be asked to experience inconvenience or to surrender our preferences in such a way that Christ could be made known. But if we will be Christ-centered rather than self-centered, then others will see in us something that will draw them to the gospel, the only thing that can save them. What we do today, brothers and sisters, has eternal results and eternal rewards are worth earthly sacrifices. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to learn from the life and the example of the Apostle Paul what it means to be gospel-centered rather than me-oriented. Lord, help us to see the difficulties and the suffering that we might be called upon to experience as opportunities, opportunities for people to see in us what they would not see in others who do not know Christ. May there be joy despite suffering. May there be victory despite tragedies. May there be a glorious revelation of the reality of Christ in every one of us that causes those who do not yet know him to want to know him so that we might share with them the gospel, the glorious truth of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, in whose name we pray.
Amen.